Welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast about how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge. I am joined this week... Jackie Mitchell. Hey, Jackie. How are you? Doing great. How's the weather today? It's amazing. <laughs> we recorded two episodes at once, and so it's the weather's the same, the same as, as the last... last episode's weather. Yeah, the same as episode 13, <laughs> which is nice. It's nice weather. Great. 10 out of 10. This is like 70... And a breeze is all I want. And you nowhere in the world can you get 70 and a breeze all year round. Mm. It's either too hot or too cold. Yeah. yeah. There's no way. That's San like, Diego's pretty close. Oh, they say they that. have perfect weather. I mean, it is pretty perfect. Man. Remember uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about why Ohio weather's bad and I said the jet stream? And I revealed that I had. Do you know what the jet stream is yet? Yeah. It's something to do with the clouds, the way they move, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, I listened to that episode, actually, and I was, like, truly so embarrassed how, like, dead seriously I asked if the jet stream was because we live near an airport. Okay, but when I brought that up to my wife and I was making fun of you behind your back to her, right. she said, is that not what it is? Thank you. So I don't thank think you. you're the only one who, who thinks that the, no, the jet stream you. has to do with airplanes. I but, appreciate that from her. Thank you. Yeah. Um, speaking of airplanes... Is your jet lag totally gone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've been back I for like really two don't. weeks, right? I, I think we timed from it in Paris. a way. Yeah. I, I think you can you can get lucky on like when you return home from an overseas flight and you can kind of like go to bed that night and yeah. like catch it well. Yeah. I, I felt I felt pretty good. But I also like going to bed early. So I'm like happy to go to bed early and kind of like sleep like a long night and wake up early and yeah. try to reset my clock that way. I'm for sure a morning person, for sure not a night person. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps too. Yeah. Plus you were flying first class because you're getting that church money. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I will say this is uh, like my husband and I like really like saved up. Like we really didn't get to go on a honeymoon. We got we got married because of COVID. So we had saved up for like a couple years and went to Europe. <laughs> and he dead seriously had said, this is his first time like flying internationally. Yeah, yeah. He was like, Maybe we should pay the little bit extra and get the lie flat seats. And I said, "Oh, a little extra? Please Google that for me. Please let <laughs> me like know how much $5, extra that is." Extra. <laughs> I was like, "Absolutely not." Yeah, I know it is crazy the difference in prices. Oh right? my gosh, I know. And it's always sad when you board a plane, you can look to the left and see mm -hmm. the lie flat seats. Then you gotta oh, go and you like see how nice. And they're, they're like, like, don't, getting, don't like look this way. They're don't... getting nice snacks, nice drinks. They already have like a warm towel, and you're like, "Wow, that looks nice." They're like, "Go over that way." Keep they're it moving. Like, Keep it moving. That's so sad. Keep it. Don't even. I go look. all the way back to the back of the plane avert, for me. Avert your eyes. <laughs> they don't, pull the curtains back. People, yeah. It's so yeah. I know. When I was at Abercrombie, uh, when I worked there, and we were flying internationally, I used to uh, used to be able to. If you, you could either fly business class, mm -hmm. or you could do something <laughs> called cash for class, where you you fly. Um, you fly Coach, economy, and they give you the difference, but only up to a thousand dollars. So it's like you know, it really is like to Europe. It's like a four to six thousand dollar difference. Oh, it's crazy, right? yeah. But when I was a kid out of college and I was going to Europe, which is only like a six or seven hour flight, sometimes it's really yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, I bought I bought my wife's wedding ring doing that. I believe it. Yeah, it was that good. is it was a, a fantastic deal. program. Yeah, they. I stopped doing it when I started flying to Asia. That's, because it's so far. Oh, when we went to Cambodia, because oh. I had done international to Europe several yeah. times. When we went to Cambodia, halfway through that flight, I was like, dude, I got to get out of here. This is like, it is so rough. Yeah. But then when I started flying business class to Asia, 
Like you can legitimately like get on the plane, have a glass of wine, eat like a steak for dinner. That's so ridiculous. And then just fall asleep for like 10 hours. And it's so like, ridiculous. it's really hard to go back after that. Oh, and yeah. Then like as soon as I stopped that job and came to work for a church, I've never even like looked at, I've never even seen business class cabins since then. Right. They don't I, let you no, look, I like look, I said. I'm yeah, exactly. Up there. So that was, that was my, I should have, my last hurrah, I should have it, enjoyed it. It spoiled you it for, yeah, for coach forever. I know. I'm sorry. I know because I know what it's like up there. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I've heard stories only. <laughs> I know what it's like, and it really is that good, Jackie. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> All right. So last time we finished with Genesis 4, we talked a lot about how this is like the depravity, the spiral of, mm-hmm. of what happens when we give ourselves to sin and all the things, you know, all the negative effects that come into that, the sin and the death that gets brought into the world, all that stuff. And then we ended Genesis 4 with a strange verse about Seth, where Adam and Eve have another yeah. son named Seth. And then it says about that time, people started to call upon the name of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And so we're going to read through Genesis 5 today, which is mostly a genealogy, which because of all of your protesting, I will read the majority of the genealogy, okay? This is for everyone's benefit that I don't <laughs> pronounce all these names, both the listeners and I don't my know. own I don't sake. know if I'm going to pronounce them all right, but, um, but why don't you read Genesis 5, 1 through 3? We'll talk about that for a second, and then we'll read the, uh, the genealogy from there. Sure. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Yeah, so that's kind of a weird way to start this, isn't it? Yeah, what does that sound like? Yeah, it's like Genesis chapter 1. I know, which is when you read Genesis chapter two, you're like, oh, I just read this. I know. You're in Genesis chapter five and you're like, I feel like I just read this again. Yeah. yeah. So when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, which is all from Genesis one. And he named them Adam, which means mankind. Mankind, yeah. And they were created when Adam, Adam, had lived 130 years. He get, he had a son in his own likeness and he named him Seth. So it's like the formulation has started over with Seth. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, like the, and, and um, you will see that Cain and the descendants of Cain play a role in the rest of the biblical story. And mm-hmm. it's not just a negative role, right? They, mm-hmm. They're in there and some of it's good and some of it's not good. And so they're not wiped out, but God's people restart in Seth. Yeah. It's interesting that this is the son in which it says Adam had a son in his own likeness in his own image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right, which is what a child so is, right? Yeah, which is, yeah, Cain and Abel would have been too, but this is like specifically mentioned, like yeah. this is Seth. It's implied that here's, again, what Adam and Eve hope, the right. offspring that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, because the images of God have gone profoundly wrong. Yeah. You know, Adam and Eve turned away from God in the garden. Death was brought into the world. Alienation from God and other humans is one of the results, and the tragedy is borne out in the original human offspring. And Cain mm-hmm. and Abel, you know, Cain spills Abel's blood. And then the line of Cain, you get corrupt cities and cultures and technology. And we bring, instead of bringing life, we destroy it. Yeah. Right? And so it culminates in Lamech, which we talked about last time, which is like a embodiment of sexual immorality and violence. 
Yeah, not only sin, but pride in the sin. And then pride and, and yeah. self-glorification. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. We see in Adam and Eve sin and like almost immediate like regret mm-hmm. and shame from sin. We see in Cain, not quite pride, but he's definitely like denying that he sinned, right? And so right. maybe it's not pride, but maybe he's trying to get away with maybe not taking like consequence or responsibility for it. Right. And now we've moved to... Lamech, who is really proud of what he's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, because even Cain, like when God says you're cursed from the ground. He doesn't he's say, like, yeah, I did it. He yeah. says, oh, I, yeah, I don't know what you're talking it. about. And then he's sad when he when he right. realizes the consequences. Right, right. right. When God says you, you won't be able to, the ground's not going to give you its strength. Correct. But then Lamech is singing a seductive song about how violent he Trying is. Trying to woo the right? ladies with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, there's this vain glory that's happening. Right. And so what does God do? He moves in grace again, because as we've been saying this whole time, God is gracious, and that's how he is. And so he gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth, and it's through this line that salvation will now move. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let me read the rest of Genesis 5. We're going to read uh, it all. And yeah, then... I'm not going to stop and talk about the different people. Um, we're going we're gonna to focus on something else here in a second. And so let mm-hmm. me just read the rest of it. And, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get it going after that. So remember, death is in the world. Mm-hmm. So here we go. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Enosh lived a total of 905 years, then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived... 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. <laughs> After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared, I just think it's funny that there's all these strange and names. Then there's there's Jared. Jared. I know. <laughs> When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After This is a different Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born... Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, 
Ham, and Japheth. Is that it? That's it. All right. So along with all the names and all the numbers, which we'll talk about here in a second, what is the refrain that we hear throughout this whole section? He died. He died. So remember what Genesis 3 brought into the world. What did it bring into the world? Sin and death. Death. Yeah. Yeah, Genesis 3 is a story of how death has entered the world. And the point, you know, one of the main points of this kind of repetition is to show this, right? Yeah. Um, This happens, this happens, this happens, then he died. This happens, this happens, then he died, then he died, then he died. And you see this throughout the whole thing because the wages of sin is death. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when discussing sin and death in Romans, in in Romans 5.14, Paul says, and death reigned from Adam to Moses. Right. So you see that here. Right. Then he died. Death all, like, has the final say to all of these stories. Yeah, they're supposed to have access to the tree of life. That's how they were created. Yeah. And now they're dying, and they're dying, Mm -hmm. and they're dying, and they're dying. And so this is the story aspect of story Mm -hmm. symbol spirit. You know, death came into the world a few chapters ago, a few generations ago, and death is the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, as Christians, we do have to understand that, biblically speaking, death is an intruder. It's not like a nice, peaceful thing that we have to try to trick ourselves into thinking is okay and natural. It's the most unnatural thing. Yes. It's, it's the central problem of the biblical story. And so Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and then Lamech shows humanity giving themselves over to death and embracing it mm-hmm. and even bringing it into the world. And so then what happens? Well, death reigns from Adam to Moses mm-hmm. and death is now reigning. And you see this, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Mm -hmm. And so the first two things to notice in the story is that, number one, God has been gracious and has restarted somehow his image of God project through Mm -hmm. Seth. Right. right? He gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth. As we read at the end of Genesis 4, people begin to call on the name of the Lord somehow through Mm -hmm. through Seth. We We haven't figured out how yet. And the second thing to realize is that death is in the world now. Yeah. So even though God's project is going forward, the fact that sin leads to death cannot be skated around. It is mm-hmm. a reality of the lives of the images of God, and you see this in the genealogy because everybody keeps dying. Mm-hmm. So then, if you were a casual reader, Jackie, what would you notice about this genealogy specifically that's strange? People are way too old. <laughs> they're really old. Whoa. Yeah, they're really old. They're like 900 years old. Some yeah. of them are pushing 1,000 yeah. years old. And so the question is like, what is going on here? Right. You know, we said at the beginning that we did not want people to feel like they're to be scared to look around the corner. Yeah. And this seems to be one of the questions that really like people are scared to ask about. Yeah, people don't live this long. Yeah. You know, and just like in, you know, after Easter weekend, it's like people don't come back to life from the dead. Yeah. And there's these questions that are central to the Bible that that are uncomfortable for us. And so there's a couple things that I want to say before we start to talk about the age of these fathers, you know, uh, in this genealogy. Um, remember that the Bible is a specific thing, and it has a specific purpose, and it's not a history book. It doesn't mean that there's not history in the Bible. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there's not accurate history in, in, in the Bible, but the point and the purpose of the Bible is not to give us a literal wooden history of the world or even of the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, when we get into the Israel stories of the kingdom, they're going to tell selected stories. Yeah. They're not going to, it's not a video camera. Right. 
It's not camcorder footage of the life of Israel. And when we get to Jesus, the Gospels are chronicling the life of Jesus Christ. They're short. Yeah. So people are picking and choosing. And in a way, that's a history. But it's not history as such. Right. You know, it's not the way that you and I learned about World War II, where we studied the battles and we studied the casualties and we studied the strategies and the generals and their backgrounds and this. You know, it's not that kind of history. First and foremost, the Bible is a theological revelation that shows us the most important truths in the world. Right. You know, who is God? Who are we? What does it mean to be human? What kind of world do we live in? How am I supposed to live in that world? And to these questions, the Bible gives precise, detailed, rich, layered answers, answers that I would say will sustain us a lifetime of meditation. Mm -hmm. And so this might sound strange to people, but for me personally, if the earth is millions of years old, and that's not exactly what is literally reflected in the biblical story, it does not change my opinion of the Bible one bit. Yeah. It doesn't change anything for me. Now, there are people who will disagree with me because there's Christians who spend their lives trying to talk about the age of the earth, right? right. So obviously people do care or some people care. Um, but to me, it doesn't really matter. Now, there are certain things like in like the, the, the current theory of evolution that has holes in it, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's um, we don't really have time to get into that, but there's certain things evolution claims that is backed only by a lack of evidence. Yeah. Right. But it is the it's the academic way of thinking about how we got to where we are. And so most of the time people take it take it for granted and take it as is. But even if something like that were true, if there was that kind of long term development over the years, it still actually wouldn't change my personal opinion of the biblical truth. Yeah. We we've talked about this a lot. This is not what the Bible is trying to answer. And so it's not that like it doesn't have like an explanation. There's no need for an explanation. As you were reading this as an, if you were an Israelite, if this is the history of your people, you're not asking really how they lived that long or like, and then what time was this? Like what year was this exactly? This is not the questions you're answering. So this is not the questions that the Bible yeah. needs to answer. Yeah. They're not asking about the big bang theory. Right. Exactly. This is, this is our modern, you know, worldview imposed questions right. that we're imposing back onto the text. And so I'm asking, you know, for, for listeners of this podcast and for people of our church, you know, I'm asking you to trust me in the sense that what we're going to talk about here are, you know, really what I would call musings and speculations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the age of these people and what their ages mean does not, for me, have uh, very much impact on my theological convictions. Mm-hmm or on my understanding of Jesus Christ as mm-hmm. the Savior of the world, or my understanding of the fact that Jesus Christ it comes from a people named Israel, or the fact that God has moved in this world and has called certain people in certain ways that are recorded in the Scriptures. None of that changes based on some of these kinds of, of questions that we ask. And so um, I want us to approach some of this stuff understanding that there are imperatives— and then there are things that are fun to speculate about. Yeah, there's things that the Bible says, this is what's true about the world. And there's other things that, like, 
in the course of the narrative, we pick out and say, oh, I want to know more about that. But that doesn't mean the Bible gives us more about that. So right. we're just speculating, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's fun as long as you take it as, as it's And fun. as long as you know that we're not maybe going to ever reach a concrete answer, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. So if you wanted to challenge Trinitarian monotheism, then that, to me, is a doctrinal necessity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that can be pulled or exegeted from the scriptures. And so, you know, we're going to have a disagreement about that. Mm-hmm. That is very different than whether or not Enoch was 905 years old. In our, yeah, in our years. In our understanding In our of understanding that, right? of years, right. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very different than whether or not a, a day in Genesis was 24 hours or whether it Correct. was a long period of time or whether there's yeah. microevolution or macroevolution or all that all of those other questions which are which are fine to talk about mm-hmm. and to try to figure out what best fits within the biblical you know a sound biblical hermeneutic but they're very different questions and we have to understand that you know yeah. um, people uh, we have talked a lot about resurrection here at our church mm-hmm. and so that means that the topic of the rapture has to be talked about a little bit People treat the rapture like it is a must. Like to believe we, in it or not believe in it is a theological imperative. And like we know. And like we know right. from one verse right. in Thessalonians, right. right? And that is not a good way to go about your life as a Christian yeah. who is trying to build community with other Christians. You know, my uh, my theology professor in seminary said that you have things that are you'll die for them. So theoretically, if persecution comes and they say deny that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world as a christian i stand there and bear whatever consequences are for refusing to deny that yeah because i'll die for that yeah um there's die force there's divide force mm-hmm. because it's hard to worship uh it's hard to be in worship together if you believe different things about certain things so like yeah. the catholic versus protestant understanding of the eucharist Yes. And what's yeah. happening in the Eucharist, transubstantiation versus symbolism versus the real presence of God, all those different Correct. theories. Like yeah. it's hard to sit in a service and participate with others if you have that different practices. And so there's divide force, um, and then there's debate force, Yeah, which is, to me, a lot of the stuff that we spend most of our time on, the stuff mm-hmm. that that we get so scared about, that you said people deconstruct their faith because they're looking around the corner at right. these things. But the question is, are the things that they're looking at important? Right. How important are they? Why are they important? Right. right. And as Christians, we do have the responsibility to understand what those things are, Yeah. to, to make that that distinction between what is that to die for and to debate for, and to have the humility to say, I don't know Right. on some things that we don't know. Right. So, so before we get into... You know, I'm going to just put forth some theories. And some of them I think are interesting because I'm a nerd. So you might listen to this and you might be like, I don't care about any of that. That's fine. I just want to yeah. make sure that we talk about the things that people have questions about when they, when they open the, the scriptures. But, but, but I will start with this. Okay, I worship a God who, bring, who, who raises the dead and brings into existence things that were not. Mm-hmm. And so if God wanted Adam to live 930 years, he could absolutely have Adam live 930 years. Right. 
And so I would never deny that. And so this is, you know, what we've already said about God is that he created the world. He's not bound by our understanding of possible or our understanding of the laws of nature or anything like that, right? right? Uh, That's not the kind of God that we worship. And so we have already conceded that God does things that we cannot understand and that we cannot replicate. And we can't, with all of our, you know, modern technology and understanding, you know, and all of our ability to manipulate the world, we still can't bring forth something from nothing. And yet the core of biblical creation mm-hmm. is that God did that. Yeah. And so he's already done something at the very beginning of the, the scriptures that we cannot do or really even understand. Yeah, a lot of this has to do with our understanding of God's otherness to us. Yeah. We have to concede to that and understand that. Yes, we are his images. Yeah. But there is a creator-creature distinction. It is so silly to say, well, I couldn't do that, so that wouldn't happen. Exactly. That's all of the Bible. You couldn't do what God's doing. You're trying to. That's the big (laughs) struggle of the Bible. Amen. Yeah. And And we can't. And so um, it's never... We will never say that these people really couldn't be that old because God couldn't do that. Right. That's not the, what we think. Yeah. <laughs> he certainly could if he wanted to. Um, and maybe he did. But right. one of the things I just want to show us is that it doesn't necessarily have to be the way that you interpret this stuff. There's other things to think about. There's other reasons to think about it. Um, and it's not always the way that some of the fathers of our faith have thought about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been kind of on like a church father's kick and so I like to read their commentaries on some of these obscure books because there are certain books where they have a ton of commentaries on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, which I think is interesting, we've been talking about this as a staff, is Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. They loved the Song of Songs. We never read the Song of Songs because right. we're kind of like uncomfortable with it because it's, it's a little spicy. But they loved the Song of Songs because it represented Christ the bridegroom and the, the, the yeah. church bride, right? And so there's, there's commentaries where they have a lot of stuff on Genesis 5, not a lot of stuff on it. Hmm. And one of the things that I just think is interesting is that when they do talk about it, you know, like ancient people weren't stupid. Right. So like in the 4th century, John Chrysostom in the 5th century, he knew that people did not live to 900 years old. Right. And yet his commentary on this part of the Bible was not about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was about much more speculative things. Like uh, he has this whole thing about you know whether Adam was buried at Golgotha, hmm. where Jesus was crucified. He thinks that he was. You know, he's he's speculating from the text. But you know, my, my point in all of this is just to show you that they weren't even thinking about that stuff. Yeah, the symbolism was much more important. How old was this person? What does it mean to live to be 900? They, that was not what they were commentating on. We're so literal mm-hmm. in, in our interpretation of stuff that we miss, like, the symbolism, and we miss what all the church fathers before us have focused on because of our scientific view of how we should approach this text. Yeah, yep, yep, and our scientific view of truth. Yeah, Right. I mean, one of the things that that I do want us to understand is that truth is not only that which is scientifically replicable. Right. Neither is reality. Right. Because all of history is non-scientific in yes. the sense that it can't be replicated. Yeah. So Caesar crossed the Rubicon. That was a big moment in world history. Can never happen again. Mm-hmm. It's not replicable. So it's not science. It's something else. Right. And so there is all kinds of truth that I would say is objective, 
but non-scientific truth about sure. our experience, yeah. about the world. And so we don't have to try to jam everything into a, a, a modernist framework of science and replicability and experiments and material materiality. It's just not necessary. It's just not necessary. And so, um, but, but people will be curious. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk sure. about a few of the theories as to why <laughs> these people are living so long. All right. Okay. Theory number one. This might be the one that most of us are most familiar with. Hmm. This is the theory that in the garden, humans had conditional immortality, which I think is true, right? They had access to the tree of life. Yeah. Then one of the consequences of sin is that they were expelled from the presence of the tree of life. And so they're expelled from the garden, and then Cain is expelled even further, and you start to see this moving away from the tree of life, which represents the immortality of life that God has given us. And so as you move further and further away from that, your lifespan becomes less and less. Mm-hmm. And when you read down the the genealogy, the years do seem to be going, you know, if you're looking at a graph, shorter. down and to the right, yeah. you know. And so they become, you know, shorter and shorter. And so as sin is embraced more and more, which we've already seen in Genesis 4 and we'll continue to see it through Genesis 6, then death is embraced to a further degree and so the the lifespans become short, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's one theory. Mm -hmm. Second theory. Uh, This is what I would call, I've heard this before, it's like maybe a utilitarian theory, which is that uh, if you read the Bible like super literal and wooden, there's not that many humans yeah. So every human has a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so in order for that work to be done, be fruitful, multiply, cultivate, uh, you you would have them live a really long time. Right. To develop culture and progress and, and all of that. And so uh, it's useful for humans to live a long time. Yeah, we don't get that. There's so many humans here. We don't get how much work would have to be done. Right. If you were the only person and you were the only family for, or a civilization for however many miles. I right. mean, how much more would you have to do to continue the mandate? Yeah, so, so you, much more. Even just think about reproduction. Right. Like our, you know, as a male, your reproductive window goes until you're probably like 50. Adam's having kids at like... Yes, that's the thing. <laughs> really they're having old. They're having kids <laughs> so late, yeah. And they're tracing a line, but mm-hmm. it's for all of them, it's saying, and they had other children as well. Yeah, they throw that in there all the time. Right. They're they're tracing yeah. one line, but they're like, and he had a lot of other kids it's too. Like, yeah. Everybody had a lot of kids too. And so the theory goes, yeah. if you had seven hundred years of reproductive window, you're going to be being you have a fruitful. Lot of kids. And you're going to be multiplying, yeah. right? Yeah. Much more than 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 we can multiply. Yeah. Um. And so there's there's this you know kind of useful idea of living a long time and getting a lot done and mm-hmm. having lots of children. And so you kind of understand the point of that utilitarian theory. There's also like, this is kind of a half-baked theory. I'm just sort of thinking about this mostly from like New Testament genealogies. Mm -hmm. But in the ancient world, a genealogy had a purpose. So even that wasn't like a literal thing where every single person is named. Yeah, it's not like you get on Ancestry.com and you see your family tree and everybody that you're distantly related to. So so you'll see see this in, uh, in Matthew which we'll talk about here yeah. for a different reason here in a second. But in the genealogy of Jesus, there's like missing people. Yeah. And in all ancient genealogies, really what they would tend to do is highlight the important person. Right. 
And so, you know, you could kind of take that and put that on this theory and say that, you know, there was a, you know, like a Adam and he starts to have children and then they don't name the next person until it's an important person. Right. So Adam is representative of all of these people that are having kids, but then it goes Correct. on to the next important person. And so, you know, theoretically you could maybe map that on to this kind of genealogy and you could sure. use those those spans of time to, to, to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's possible. And then I want to throw out like a crazy theory. Okay. Okay. Because I just think that this is kind of interesting. I don't necessarily think it's the most credible, but I do think that it's interesting and it has to do with math and it falls in line with the symbol part of our hermeneutic, right? And so... Let me just let me just walk through this for a second. Um, in most ancient cultures, and definitely in the ancient Semitic cultures like Hebrew and and uh, the you know the the Babylonian cultures and all of that, there's something called numerology, and mm-hmm. so that means that that numbers have meanings, right? It's beyond a quantity yeah. or sequential meaning, it has a meaning. And so, an example of this in the Bible that's very very clear is in number seven. Yeah. So in the Bible, seven represents completion. And so that means that the number seven has a deep meaning in and of itself beyond just its order in a sequence or its quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see it all over the Bible. You see it in the creation story because God creates the world in six days and then the seventh yeah. day is the day that it's complete. And so he takes his holy Sabbath rest. And that does not mean that he's tired or that he's like chilling. It means that he's sitting down on his throne and enjoying the world that he's created because it is complete in the way that he wants it to be. Mm -hmm. Now, this gets a little bit confusing because we humans Sabbath, and part of the reason that we Sabbath is because we do deplete. Yes. And we do have to take care of ourselves. And, uh, And in the Bible, you know, especially in the ancient world, we Sabbath because we're supposed to trust God to provide for us. Yes. And when you give up a whole day of being productive, uh, that's a profound act of trust, mm-hmm. right? But that's not why God Sabbaths. Right. He Sabbaths because he created the world that way. Yeah. And so you look at our weeks, and it's like seven days, and God's order of that is that he created it all in six days. It's as it should be, and so on the seventh day, you you, mm-hmm. you rest, mm-hmm. um, and you, 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 you sit on your throne. It's complete in the way that you want it to be. So then the Israelites are told to practice the Sabbath every seven days because of this, mm-hmm. right? And they're supposed to practice the Sabbath year every seven years. And in that year, all the debts are forgiven. That's Deuteronomy 15. Yes. And then they're told to practice a year of Jubilee every seven times seven years. And mm-hmm. so that's 49. And then in the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee, which they I don't think they actually ever did. No, I don't think they ever reached the year yeah. of Jubilee. That becomes one of the reasons the prophets say that they go into exile. Yeah. And in the year of Jubilee, all debts are forgiven, all slaves are freed, mm-hmm. and all property is returned. Mm-hmm. And so, again, all of that, even the social practices of that, represent wholeness. Yes. Because if these practices are followed, it says in, in Deuteronomy and in uh, Leviticus, there will be no poor among you. Mm-hmm. And it will be difficult for, like, ex- exploitation to happen generationally. Yeah. And so, seven... All of that's connected to the number seven because mm-hmm. seven represents wholeness or the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. 
or just the world as it ought to be. Mm -hmm. So then you see this number all over the place, right? This is numerology. In uh, Psalm 12, King David prays and he says that the Lord's words are flawless and perfect and complete, like gold Mm -hmm. refined seven times. Mm -hmm. That was not an actual practice of goldsmiths to refine gold seven times. That's symbolic. The number seven means completely refined Yes, to to purify something seven times. In the Lord's Prayer, this is kind of interesting, Jesus' instruction on how to pray, he tells his disciples, he tells them to ask for seven petitions. So, hallowed be thy name, may your name be hallowed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, give us this day our daily bread, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Mm-hmm. So how do you pray? Well, he gives them seven things to ask God for, which I think is kind of interesting. And then in the book of John, he describes himself using seven metaphors. Mm-hmm. Jesus does. The bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, of, the gate to salvation, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine. Mm. And so there's seven metaphors where he reveals himself. And then there's seven miracles in the book of John that he reveals himself through. And so he turns water into wine. He heals the royal official's son. He heals the paralytic at the pool. He feeds 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a man who was born blind. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. Mm-hmm. Seven miracles to reveal that he is the son of God. And then his own resurrection is the eighth one, which represents new creation because creation yeah. happened over seven days, right? And so it's the his his resurrection is the first day of new creation. Mm-hmm. It's like the eighth miracle, like right? That. Which is cool. And there's a few examples of the symbolism of a number. Yeah, I mean, we saw it in Genesis four. Yeah. When when God says that He will avenge seven times over. Yes, and then exactly. Lamech says, "I'll do it seventy-seven, 77 times. times." Just means like that. He like, doesn't mean I'm going to do that seventy-seven right. times. He's he not means counting. Doubly complete. Right. Because numbers can mean something beyond yeah. quantity and right. beyond sequential order. And to be fair, we do this in a way when we say stuff like, I've done that a thousand times. Yes. We don't mean yes. we've done that a thousand times. Yes. We just mean I've done that a lot. And to us, a thousand is a big number. And that means I've done it enough. I've done yes. more than enough. I've had a thousand of those. Right. I've eaten that a thousand times. When when you say give it 110%, that's impossible. Right. 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 You cannot give more than right. 100%. Like 100%, that's all of it. Yeah, we're using symbolism. We're using symbolism. When my, sometimes my wife talks to, to her best friend on the phone and you can tell they're talking about something and she'll be saying like, oh, 100%, 100%. But then if it gets intense, she'll be like, a thousand percent. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that's not that's possible. The same thing. <laughs> but she's communicating something real yeah, yeah. that like now she's like really agreeing with Exactly. You, right. And so numbers still, we still do numerology. Absolutely. You're absolutely yeah. right. We still do numerology in that way. So that's, that's a really good point. There's also a weird thing. Now I'm getting nerdy, but just hang with me. All right. There's another thing in the Hebrew culture called gematria, which is where a, a number is assigned to every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Mm. And that's pretty much sequential. So it goes like the first letter of the alphabet's one, and then the next letter's two, and then the next letter's three. And so then a name can mean something based on its numerical value when you when you sum together the the, the name. So like David in Hebrew is uh, Dalit Vav Dalit, so DVD. And Dalit is the fourth letter, and then Vav is the sixth letter, and then Dalit again is the fourth letter. So four plus six plus four equals fourteen. Mm-hmm. 
And 14 is a good number for Hebrew numerology because it's two sevens, right? And so seven's the number of completeness times two. It's like Mm -hmm. giving something 200%, right? (laughs) And so uh, David is the perfect figure of a king. You know, he becomes the, the archetype of what the king is supposed to be like, and his name means wholeness or completion mm-hmm. times two uh, in terms of the, the numbers. So the numbers mean something. This is what Matthew does in his genealogy, which we, yes. we mentioned before. But he says that Jesus is the seed of David, and he's the, the promised messianic mm-hmm. king. And so David is 14. Yeah. Right? And so what the way that Matthew writes the genealogy is he writes 14 generations from Abraham to David, mm-hmm. 14 generations from David to the exile, and then 14 generations from the exile to Jesus the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so numbers mean something, mm-hmm. right? That is probably not the literal genealogy of Joseph, seed of David. Mm-hmm. That genealogy means something, 14, 14, 14, son of David, Messiah. Yeah. Right? And so numbers are used like this in the Bible all the time. And so anyways, back to Genesis chapter 5, every patriarch has three numbers associated with him. So there's the number of years that he lived, uh, and then the number of years, um, so sorry, his age when the son was born, the number of years he lived after his son was born, and then the total number of years that the patriarch lived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think that's interesting that their age when their son is born is mentioned. Yeah, so so when Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of Seth. Mm Mm-hmm. The days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years. Thus, all the days Adam lived were 930 years. I appreciate that they add that up for me. Right. And that actually, okay, so that's kind of what makes me think that perhaps there's something going on here. Yeah. Because you could add that up. I could. <laughs> well, you, I appreciate I, I that they do that for me. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me a minute Which, and then I could add it. <laughs> but it makes me think that that means that all three numbers might mean something. Okay. Right? That's true because it, we've talked about repetition mm-hmm. and, and restating the obvious in the Bible often means that something's important. Yeah. So I think that this is true. But either, you know, every number that is mentioned in this genealogy ends in either a zero, a two, or a five, or a seven. Hmm. And so I think that the odds of this happening in like a random distribution of numbers would be like one in a hundred million. To not get something that ends in another. Yeah. 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 And so statistically speaking, maybe that's a clue that something is going on symbolic, you know, like these numbers actually mean something. And so one of the theories that I've seen is that there's two really significant numbers for this culture. The first one is the number seven. We don't have to get into that anymore, Mm -hmm. right? We just talked about that and gave a bunch of examples. The other number, which I think is kind of interesting, is the number 60. So 60 is the foundational number of the very ancient Babylonian mathematical system that we're actually still influenced by today. It's called the sexagesimal system or the base 60 mathematical system. Okay. So this is why there's 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour. Oh, that comes from Babylonian culture. Oh, yeah. Culture. Very, very, very ancient. Very interesting. Very ancient. And our whole days and our whole calendar is based on that. Yeah. Right? And so there's a reason that you would have 60 as the base of a mathematical system. And the reason is that it has a ton of factors. Yeah. So like lot 60 is divisible by a bunch of numbers. Yeah. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, 12, 15, 20, 30, and 60. Mm-hmm. And two of those factors are prime, mm. which is actually pretty rare. And with so many factors, like most fractions involving, you know, sexagesimal numbers are, are easily simplified. Mm-hmm. So you think about when you think about an hour, 
you know how we always say things like 30 till or quarter till? Yeah. Or, or 10 after? Mm-hmm. Part of that is because all of those, that makes sense intuitively to us because all of those are divisible into an hour, yeah. 60. Yeah. And so um, an hour can be divided into sections of 30 or 20 or 15 or 12, et cetera, et cetera, right, all the way down. And so all of that is uh, um, not really important, like the, the things about like our time and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is interesting that the mathematical system that the ancient Babylonians were using, which is probably the mathematical system that was influencing the Hebrew people as well, um, and probably the Egyptians, all 60 is the foundational number of that system. Mm-hmm. So seven has huge significance, and 60 has huge significance. And so um, one of the things that someone has proposed is that the number seven and the number 60 somehow fit into every single number Mm. that is listed here. I think there's like 30 numbers listed. And 60 and seven, you can create different formulas with the number Mm. 60 and the number seven to get to every single number that's on here. So an example would be Methuselah was 187 years old when Lamech was born. That's Genesis 525. That's 60 plus 60 plus 60 plus seven. Mm. And Adam is 130 when uh, Seth is born. That's 60 plus 60 plus 60 months, which is five years, Mm -hmm. plus another 60 months, which Mm. is five years. And so that gets you to 130 and some of them are very complicated if you want to try to do this through, like, the whole thing. And so, like, Seth lives to be 912, so it's, like, 60 years plus 60 years plus 60 years times 60 months plus 60 months plus 7 years, something like that, right? And so um, the, the, the point of this is not necessarily that this is true. The point is that you can understand how these numbers might have some kind of significance, right? Mm-hmm. We don't actually know what these numbers mean to the Hebrew authors. Maybe it was simply what was passed down, how old they live in 365 yeah. you know, days per year. Like Maybe that is exactly what it means, and maybe that's true for all of the theories that we went through before this, but maybe there is something else going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe the numbers are important for a specific reason. Maybe they represent something. And so, you know, the, the risk, and this is why I said it's important to understand that that this is speculation. Mm-hmm. Because the risk of something like what we're talking about with taking 60s and 7s and trying to figure out every single number with those is you can kind of make numbers mean whatever they want, like right. whatever you want them to mean, right? Like, 60 plus 60 plus 60 plus 7 is kind of a crazy way to get to, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, that age. Yeah. And so you have to be a little bit careful. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but it does show that perhaps there's a symbolic significance to this. Yeah. And it shows that maybe there's other symbolic significance that, that we, we don't know about anymore. Yeah, we have to. We have to understand that we may be missing some of the cultural significance because this is we've been adopted into this culture right right and then all of that comes after our admission that maybe they really were that old yeah absolutely because that's the way that god wanted it to be right we had i totally admit that and put that forth Mm -hmm. as a possibility absolutely and then the reasons for that uh we talked about in the first few theories and and who knows you know who knows what it means the the main 
point of Genesis 5 is that God has started over with Seth, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. And yet you have this tragedy of death that happens over and over and over again. He dies, he dies, he dies, he dies, he dies. And so you see generational death. And then whether the ages of these patriarchs are straightforward and something about the fall causes people to live shorter and shorter until until the flood, which we're going to see God then <laughs> makes their age shorter than that yeah. uh, and says that he's not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, in, in, in some ways, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Which is why it's okay to speculate. Yeah, because I think either way, we have to give up knowing everything and relying on God, whether we... Th- think that it's a literal yeah. 930 years, we have to say, that can't happen to me today. I rely on God to understand that he upheld them in that time. Yeah. Or that there's something going on here symbolically in the story that I may never fully understand and get to the bottom to. Yeah. And even if I don't understand it fully, I rely on God to know him. Right. You know, maybe it is 60s and 7s. Mm-hmm. You know, those are very important numbers in that culture. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is that. Maybe they actually were that old. You know, I, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Is like, what changes about your imperative theology based right. on what answer you give to that question? Right. It's not even a dogmatic um, position of any of the ancient church. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and we'll revisit this again, I'm sure, throughout. It's wonderful to ask questions. It's also important to understand why we ask the questions. Mm-hmm. So are we asking this question because it hinders our ability to know God and understand the story? Or are we just inquisitive creatures and that's okay? Mm-hmm. So we have to separate some of that too. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, I think that like sometimes I like dealing with non-imperative theology yeah. more. Oh, yeah. Because I feel free to think about it, you know? like I You would, can speculate. Yes. And it's okay. Like, I would yeah. never say that the Trinity is three because the number three represents X, Y, and Z because that, to me, is imperative theology yeah. that's been dogmatically defined by the church history that I think is very clear in Scripture. Mm-hmm. God is three because God is three. He's Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. So I wouldn't do this kind of exercise with something like that, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't even do this kind of exercise with something like salvation right. or even really eschatology. Right. But then there are things in something like eschatology where you can do this kind of stuff with. Absolutely. Like, how is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? It's like, I mean, we don't really know. We're given a few sentences here and yeah. there. The book of Revelation is a very tricky document to read. And so, like, what will the time that Jesus comes back look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, even something like, you know, the new heavens and the new earth. You know, people will ask me, because we talk about this a lot at this church, because people, Christians, tend to not believe in the resurrection. Right. So we talk about it a lot. But people ask me, well, how will so many people fit if right. it's like this world? And right. there's a part of that that I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't say. So you, you, you trust that God is not going to, like, forget that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oops. Like, uh, oh, <laughs> I made the world too small. It's my too bad. small. <laughs> yeah. um, but beyond that, there's not textual evidence. Like, yeah. oh, here's how God's going to handle overpopulation in the yeah. new heavens and the new earth. And um, there's our faith exercise is to say, you know, in a way, we're asking God, okay, explain how you're going to do everything. Right. And just like you don't maybe have to explain to a child why you do everything that you do, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're not doing it for a good reason. Exactly. Um, 
this kind of stuff can lead to accusations of like using liberal theological interpretation. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean political. It's not liberal in that sense. It just means kind of like making the text what you want it to mean, mm-hmm. right? And that is not the way that I think about this. The way that I think about this is like we talked about your die force, debate for, or divide force, yeah. and debate force. You know, there are things that I believe strongly enough about that I am not a Catholic. Yeah. Now that doesn't, now I affirm almost all of my die fors the Catholic Church also agrees with. Yeah. And so I consider Catholics my brothers in Christ. Yeah. But there are things that I feel strongly enough about that I am not willing to give an alternate interpretation of X, Y, or Z that makes it so that I am not a Catholic and I do not attend their services, I do not take their Eucharist, and I'm not baptized into their church, right? Right. So that it's not like liberal theology in terms of like, yeah, just think whatever you want, interpret any passage the way that you want. That is not what this means. You can Mm -hmm. only do this kind of exercise with certain like peripheral things. Right, because if if you do this kind of exercise with anything else, you'll very quickly find that the Bible has a lot to say about it, and it's clear. Yes, yes, exactly. And so you would, in order to make something as central as you know, the resurrection mean whatever you want, mm-hmm. you have to ignore a lot of the other texts right. about it. And so it doesn't work. It's it's one of the reasons why um, sexual ethics is such a hot button mm-hmm. issue in culture because the Bible says a lot about it. Yeah. And it's really quite clear. And so that does not jive with our culture anymore. Yeah. And so there's friction and there's tension. Mm-hmm. If our culture was that upset about the ages of the patriarchs, I legitimately might concede that. Right. Because it doesn't have anything to do with my theology. The meaning of that is not talked about elsewhere. It's not expounded upon. And so, like, you know, part of reading the Bible responsibly is is really understanding that. And that's where mm-hmm. being a part of a church can help you because we have our to die for us. And we have our divides for divide yeah. force. And we have our debate force, like open handed things that different people in our church believe different things mm-hmm. about. And, um, you know, Joel might stand up and he might teach and say, like, the position of our church is this, but this is not something that we feel like we have to, you know, if you don't believe this, you need to leave. Correct. Yeah. Or if I believe something different than you, like, you're not going to like it here. Yeah. You know, that's just, you, you can't take every single thing in scripture Absolutely. and apply the same kind of imperative, you know, nature to it. And because so, we don't know everything exactly. as humans. Exactly. Um, and again, this is like another highlight of the fact that the Bible's not, it's not talking about our understanding of science. Right. It's not interested it's in not answering it, our why questions. It doesn't know what it is. Like, it's, right. that's not a thing yet. Right, right. So, so like, the reason that even the church fathers don't talk about this, even though they know people don't live to be that old, is because it's, like, probably the least important thing to them. Right. They want to know... Was was Adam buried at Golgotha? Because that would be sick. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right? If Christ died where death entered the world, yeah. right? Like that would be awesome. And so they're speculating about that stuff. Yeah. How old were the patriarchs? Uh, was the flood local or was it global? That right. those aren't the things that they're really interested in. Yeah. And I feel like we need to address those things because people are interested in them, but we have to uh, appropriately order how important those things are in terms of our broad faith. Sure. We have to understand that this is the question of our generation, and we may not have a lot about on it 
you know, because this is not what the question was for the previous generations, and that's okay. Yeah. Everyone will speculate something that's relevant to them in their time, what they're hearing. So if I'm hearing a lot about the literal age of the earth, and that's what's being speculated in the world, yeah. then those are the kind of questions that I'll approach the Bible with. Right. Just like in other times, people approach the Bible with the questions that were relevant to their lives. And that's okay. We are creatures that, you know, we ask questions that are relevant to us. Yeah, we're, con- we're, we're context-based. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good way to say it. Um, t- two, two examples of things that seem impossible to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Someone living to be 905 years old mm-hmm. and someone resurrecting from the dead. I was just going to say the resurrection. Yeah. And so we handle those two things very differently. Yeah. Right. Um, if you, if you deconstruct your faith because you're not sure if Adam lived to be 930 or whatever it is, that's kind of a problem. It's not necessary to do that. Yeah. If you don't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, then you should deconstruct your faith. Right, because if you do believe in the resurrection, but you have a hard time believing someone could live long, it's way harder to believe someone <laughs> yeah, could actually true. <laughs> be resurrected than right. just live longer, right? Yeah, and we didn't even talk about Enoch, right. who actually didn't die, right. according to the genealogy. He was taken by God when he was 325 years old. We'll have a couple other chances to talk about guys like him. Yeah, so down, we, we will have to talk about road. Enoch, because at some point we're yeah. going to talk about the book of Enoch, first and second Enoch, mm-hmm. which is going to be very interesting. Um but, but yeah, you know, to believe in God is to believe in something that is beyond our comprehension. Yes. And so things are going to happen in and through God and therefore in and through us that are beyond our comprehension. Yeah, we know it to be true in our own spiritual lives, 100%. And it's hard to articulate in a material mm-hmm. way, and it doesn't always fit our modern understanding of truth. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there might be an explanation that does fit into our modern understanding of truth. Maybe those ages mean something. And mm-hmm. so maybe the people did live to be normal age that you and I would know, and the ages that are listed here mean something specific, you know. Um, but the the point of this exercise to me is that that's not very important. Yeah. It's not very important. And so, you know, Look at those things. Have fun with those things. Do mm-hmm. not deconstruct your faith over whether or not Enoch lived to be 900-some years old. It's not necessary to do that. Yeah. It's not what the Bible cares about. It's not really what it's trying to put in front of us, and it's not what church history has cared about either. And so, look, we're going to get into some even crazier stuff over the next couple of weeks. So next Absolutely. week, we're going to go through Genesis 6, <laughs> which starts off with some interesting Some crazy texts. And... Uh, Then we're going to talk about the flood, which is also controversial through our modern lens. And so that's all going to be fun. But but all of this, you know, we have to understand how we approach this stuff. And we'll use the story, Simple Spirit, Hermeneutic going forward as well. And I think that's going to be fun. Anything else on Genesis chapter 5 and really, really old men? No, I although it just gives you some great names, huh? If anyone's looking to name a kid... Well, besides Jared, we have a Jared have on a Jared. staff. That like it really made me yeah. laugh because you think of like these ancient men, yeah. and then when you said Jared, I was thinking of like our our Jared, <laughs> our Jared that works at the church and like you're, helps us set up the podcast each week. I know you're wrestling for your firstborn between Mahalalel and Methuselah. So yeah, I'll see which one you pick. I'm Team Methuselah for team sure. Methuselah. Yeah, <laughs> when the time comes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for, for being with us, and we will see you next time on Story Simple Spirit. Mm-hmm.